verse 13 that is the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. If you have the old King James, you will find, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you have the NIV or the NASB or the NRSV, you will find a tiny little number or letter that says, some early authorities end with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Was this the original ending to the Lord's Prayer? Probably not. Does it matter to me that it was not originally the ending of the Lord's Prayer? Not in the least, because it brings us to this place where we recognize that when we've prayed like Jesus taught us to pray, the next thing that arises from our prayer is our praise. It is right to end with praise. It is right to end with this acknowledgement that God is good and powerful and mighty. It is right to take this purely biblical language and add it on liturgically to the end of this prayer that Jesus taught us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One Sunday morning, there was a woman who came up to a pastor, and she thanked him for the encouraging sermon that he had preached and being a somewhat humble man, or at least trying to be a somewhat humble man. He said, don't give thanks to me. Give thanks to God. The woman said, well, I thought about that, but it really wasn't that good. When we think about what God has given to us, it really is that good. There is a call for gratitude. There is a call for thanksgiving. And, and in the Bible, these, these ideas of praise, of glorifying God, of gratitude, these are intimately linked together by those who recognize the good that God has done for them. And so, somewhere along the way, it seems that this this extension of the prayer has arisen from a biblical understanding of what it means to say, God, you are my Father. Now, in the Old Testament, God as Father appears in a, a very limited number of, number of metaphors. In the New Testament, God becomes the primary that God the Father becomes the primary metaphor. And so the idea that we're a part of a family, the idea that God is inviting us to his table, is calling us children, the idea that we wind up in a place where we are the family of God is indeed a blessing. Now, some of us were blessed with biological families that loved us and cared for us and supported us and provided for us and encouraged us. But even if you did not grow up in a biological family that did all of that for you, chances are that somewhere along the way you found a place. You found a place that was safe for you to relax and sit down. You found a place where somebody encouraged you and loved you and cared about you. And in a bigger way, God has invited us as the church 
to be an extraordinarily large family with many gifts, with as many challenges as any large family has, God has invited us to be his family. As a result of that, there is something within us, there's a seed that has been planted, there is an idea that is, is simply worthy of giving praise and thanks to God. That when we could have been God's enemies, he chose to bring us in. And he chose to bring us in not only as servants, but as sons and daughters. And he chose to bring us in not only as sons and daughters, but as beloved children. It's right to end with praise. Yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever God's gifts are good. Now this ending to the Lord's Prayer, if it was added later on, now even if it was added later on, it was added very early in church history, but it didn't come out of thin air. It came from, from one who was deeply familiar with the risings and fallings of scriptural context. It came from one who understood that the one who taught this prayer, Jesus, is described as the son of David. And it came from one who chose to look back at David's prayer as God's promise to David was being fulfilled, as Solomon was about to be crowned king, as the first dynasty in Israelite history was beginning to take place, David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I know, I know, I just said 1 Chronicles. I always feel like when I say 1 Chronicles, I ought to follow it up by dun-dun-dun. It's the Old Testament. And, and 1 Chronicles is like the Old Testament of, of the Old Testament. The first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles is name after name after name. Functionally speaking, it is the ambient of the Old Testament. If you ever have trouble going to sleep, you can start with 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and probably won't be that long before, before you're dozing off. But later on in 1 Chronicles, David has been king, and he gets to see God's promise. God said, I'm going to build you a house. You're going to have a dynasty. David says, I want to build a temple for you. And God says, no, you're not going to do it. But your child is going to do it. You're going to have somebody on the throne perpetually. And David sees this, and David prays. David's prayer is this. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, now see if you recognize some of these words. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted 
as head above all. David sees God's promises coming true. David sees the unfolding of God's will in the world, and he offers God his gratitude, and he offers God his praise. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, this is what we're praying for, that God's name would be revered, that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done on earth as in heaven. And when we see the unfolding of this, when we see in our own lives our brokenness until we come to Jesus and find healing, our guilt and our shame until we come to Jesus and find release, when we see that, when we experience that, when we live together in a family where we share the stories of that with one another, it is as if God's reign is unfolding in our midst. It is as if God's kingdom in some small way is beginning to come. And we pray with some writer so long ago, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, one of David's descendants is also praying. He's praying when God gives victory. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Second Chronicles 25 and following, and he prays, O Lord God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, O God, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel to give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Fast forward to the book of Revelation as John's visions are unfolding one after another and image after image is being offered to us. John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and they were singing and hear the song that they sing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Dear friends, there is an activity of God in the world. There is an activity of God that can happen in your life and my life. There's a seed that can be planted that is never quite fully grown until there is this kind of explosion of praise that says, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your work in my life. 
Where I was ashamed, you have given me hope. Where I was weak, you have given me strength. Where I felt like a lost sheep that had wandered away, you took my hand and brought me back. Where I was lost in sin, you found me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. In these moments of praise, when we consider what God has done for us, that he's invited us in, that he's invited us to do his will, that he's forgiven us, and he wants us to forgive others. And he says, as we forgive others, so we are forgiven. He sets us free. And that calls forth praise from deep inside us. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't know how to respond. When is the last time that you have felt the urge, the need to respond to God in praise, to think about what God has done for you, and to remember that God is good and that his name is to be glorified and praised forever? Sometimes when I don't think anybody is here, I walk through the halls and I sing. I found out that I've not been alone every time. I thought I was alone. People say, I heard you singing the other day. Well, I'm really sorry. (laughs) It was a joyful noise to the Lord. That's about all that I can say. But this rhythm of praise, these words that we receive, the, the doxology that we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Is that thanksgiving and that praise a part of the rhythm of your life? We think about the rhythm of our life being, being rather holy, and if you're like me, you do have a time that's set aside and probably a place where you go and you pray. You ask God to meet your needs. You pray for those who are close to you. You offer your praise for the goodness of the day. But, but folks, there are always just these wonderful opportunities that you have. I've got this toothbrush. And my toothbrush reminds me that you're supposed to brush your teeth, according to the American Dental Association, for two minutes. And so it stops every 30 seconds. And so the front of your teeth, the back of your teeth on top, the front of your teeth on the bottom, the back of your teeth. Did you know that in about 30 seconds you can sing the doxology in your head? If you are brushing your teeth, it's a little harder to sing it out loud, but you can sing the doxology in your head. You can follow that up with glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. You can follow that up with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And your dentist will say, how in the world are your teeth so clean now? My life is filled with the rhythm of praise, you might say. I don't know how you do it, how it will work best for you. But there are these moments when prayer gives way to praise. When the Our Father who art in heaven transitions into this explosion of doxological praise, 
For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. This gratitude, this acknowledgement of the goodness and power of God. Dear friends, for this we were made. And Jesus invites us to pray. And at the end of the prayer, Jesus, perhaps, it is present in some of the early manuscripts, but some of the editors of the Gospel of Mark over, over the years, whoever that may be, whose name is unremembered, may have given us this liturgical gem based entirely on First Chronicles. See, he didn't fall asleep in the first nine chapters. He, he read all the way. And we are invited to take part in that language, that liturgy of praise and prayer. Yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And God's people may say with the people through the ages, Amen and Amen. Let us...